Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com Featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith Not just a profile picture For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com And the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website Is ready to help single Catholics take the next step In sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health share ministry to provide an affordable health sharing program rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at MyCatholicHealthShare.com. CMF Curo. Healthcare fully alive. Well, howdy, everybody. This is John Michael Talbot. We're starting a series on the lover and the beloved. Do you have a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ? We're going to be focusing on this. All things are possible with God. Come back and join us. Howdy, everybody. This is John Michael Talbot. We're going to be going through a teaching, a series on the lover and the beloved. And this is an analogy to bring out all the different stages and dimensions of that personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a static relationship. It's alive. It's alive. So we use the analogy of a lover and a beloved. And we have a great, great tradition to build on. St. Augustine says... When we come to the subject of love, which is what God is called in Scripture, the Trinity begins to dawn a little. For there is the lover, the beloved, and love. Wow. That's from his work on the Trinity. So he really brings out that the Trinity itself is this love union, this love mystery going on right inside of himself. Isn't that cool? And this analogy was kind of built up, and it was expanded. First, we see St. Bernard of Clairvaux teaching from the, on the Song of Songs. So on the Song of Songs, taking that wonderful mystical book in Scripture that, you know, the Jewish rabbis said, you can't read it until you're 30. It's too suggestive. But Bernard of Clairvaux takes that to, to begin to teach on the different aspects of this relationship with Jesus Christ and all the aspects of our Catholic Christian faith. Isn't that cool? Well, you know, Bernard does it, and then St. Francis of Assisi also uses this language, and then it reaches its highest peak with St. John of the Cross. Now, the language of the lover and the beloved came from Raymond Lull. Raymond Lull was a, was a Franciscan layman, part of the what then they called the Third Order. Today we call it the Secular Franciscan Order. And he was a hermit. He went to Mount Rhonda and he spent nine years. And God revealed to him that he was supposed to bring the gospel to the Muslims. So he ended up dying a martyr's death, bringing the gospel of Jesus to the Muslims in uh, Arabia. But he used the language of the lover and the beloved. So we have a wonderful, wonderful tradition 
to begin from. Scripture itself says in Revelation 19.7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding day of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. She was allowed to wear a bright, clean linen garment. The linen represents the righteous deeds of all the holy ones. So this language of the lover and the beloved, of the bride and the groom, is used all through Scripture. The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who have been called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are true. They come from God. So what's called spousal mysticism comes from God. Now the first thing is there's a divine kind of a, an attraction, a mystery. What calls two people to fall in love? Love is a mystery. It's a mystery. The center of our faith is sacrament, sacred mystery, because the center of our faith is love. You can computer match, you know, 50 people and 50 people. They're all supposed to work, right? But some of them will fall in love and some of them won't. It's a mystery. And this is brought out that it is grace that attracts us to this divine love relationship. Jesus says in John 6, 24, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. You can't come to Jesus unless that divine spark is drawing. Is that divine spark drawing you? And St. Paul says, For God is the one who for his good purpose works in you both to desire... And to work. If, if you even desire God, He's already working in your life. Isn't that cool? Wow. So a lot of people go, well, I love God, but, but the grace of God doesn't seem to be working. Guess what? The grace is working if you desire Him. Now, this language that's used, there's a Greek word, genosko, genosko, of knowing, knowing. Jesus, of knowing God, like a man and a woman who are married, know one another when their union is consummated. Jesus says in Matthew 7, he speaks, you know, that many will come and they'll say, well, didn't I prophesy? Didn't I work miracles? You know, didn't I do all these mighty works? Yes, you did. But then he might say, and I will declare to them solemnly, I never knew you. I never knew you. The word there is genosko. Depart from me, you evildoers. That word is also used in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Old Testament that the early church used, about Adam knowing his wife. Adam knew his wife. The word is genosko. So we have a solid tradition for this bride-bridegroom mysticism, this spousal mysticism. Let's look at some scriptures about marriage. And they have a lot to teach us. Ephesians 5.21, he says, Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. The husband is head of the wife just as Christ is head of the church. But as the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. But it's not one-sided. <laughs> You guys don't get the wrong idea because listen to this. This is going to put you in your place. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved 
the church and handed himself over for her. So husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Whoa. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church. This is a great mystery. There's that word mystery again. But I speak in reference to Christ and the church. Wow, isn't that cool? So this whole notion of being mutually served, being mutually subordinate to one another, serving each other, giving our lives completely to one another. And that's used as an example of our relationship with Jesus. It's interesting that Paul calls himself both a father and a mother. Wow. Of course, Paul says regarding being a father, he says, and this goes to spousal mysticism. He says, I'm jealous with you with with the jealousy of God since I betrothed you to one husband, Jesus, to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So there's that spousal mysticism, that love thing that we are going to we're going to get married to Jesus. How about that? Well, as church. And he calls himself a mother. In other words, he is married to Jesus and he has in fact gotten pregnant and given birth to children. He says, "My children, for who I am again in labor." until Christ is formed in you. And he says to the Corinthians, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were unable to take it. And to his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cares for her children. And the Old Testament, Isaiah 54, 5, says, for he who has become your husband is your maker. Now, is this anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic, the the word anthropomorphic comes from the Greek anthropos, which means man or human. And a lot of times we we assign to God language of, of humanity. He has an arm, he has outstretched arms and feet and so on and so forth. Some of this is anthropomorphic, just to help us get a handle on God. But some of it is real. Some of it is real. For instance, we say, our Father who art in heaven. We know that that in the Trinity, God has both masculine and feminine attributes. But I wouldn't advocate saying our Mother who art in heaven. No, I'm going to stay with our Father because I don't I don't want to die and get before God and go. Oh, sorry, Dad. <laughs> so the anthropomorphic is our human aspect, but there might be reality to it. So take this love relationship. Lover and beloved, seriously. It's not only a symbol, it's a reality. Are you entering into that love relationship with Jesus today? Is he the lover of your soul? That's the real question. Hey, I love you guys. All things are possible with God. Come back and join me. We're going to take a little break here, and we're going to go deeper into this topic. See you back. Breathe out 
Welcome back, everybody. John Michael Talbot. We're talking about the lover and the beloved, and do we have a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ? And how the early church and the modern church uses what's called spousal mysticism, that our love with Jesus is like the love between a bride and a groom. We're the bride. He's the groom. Well, let's take a look at love. We said that love is a mystery. Love is a mystery. Now, there are three Greek words traditionally used by Greek philosophy for love. And in scripture, we use two of those words. The three words are eros, where we get erotic. The second is phileo, that's a love between friends. And the third is agape, which is a divine love. So there's some really cool stuff here. In John 21, 15 through 19, we get two of these words, and this is so cool. Listen, Jesus said to Peter, this is when, the, when Jesus is giving Peter what's called the primacy. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then a second time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. 
And a third time, Jesus says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Wow. Now, what's really cool about this scriptural text is that there are two words used for love in that text. When Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses divine love. He uses agape. But Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, phileo. Wow. So the friend love. He asked him a second time, do you love me? He says, agape, divine love. Simon Peter says, you know that I love you. And he uses again, phileo. Wow. Finally, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes to phileo. And then Peter says, you know that I love you, phileo. What's this say? In our love relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus calls us to something higher, but if we're not able to go to the, to the heights of it, he meets us right where we are. Is that cool or what? In other words, if I'm not able to rise to agape, Jesus will actually come to me where I am and he'll meet, we, meet me with the love that I am capable of at this point in my walk with him. Wow. I just think this is so cool. So there are stages in our love relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not at the mystical heights all the time. In this little teaching, we're going to talk about four stages. Now, follow me on this. We talked about the divine attraction, which is kind of a 1A. But when we go on with this in the next program, we're going to talk about the first stage, which is dialogue. For people to fall in love after they feel that attraction, they've got to talk to each other. Do you want to live on the North Pole or the South Pole? If one says the North Pole, one says the South Pole, cohabitation is going to be difficult. That's where we get into doctrine and teaching on faith and morality. So there are objective things that we can know about Jesus. So there's dialogue. The second, we get married. And then there's love union, the consummation of the marriage. Wow, that is, it's beyond logic. You're no longer talking to each other. It is pure ecstatic union. And that's the charismatic part of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Once we establish, you know, the, the facts of Jesus, of the church, of right and wrong morality, now we can relax and we can go fully into that love union. I just think this is so cool. Well, after you have that ecstatic love union, and excuse me for getting kind of intimate here, but then you have afterglow. The afterglow is when you've had the union, you're no longer talking, you're no longer doing doctrine, you're no longer doing teaching. You simply learn how to be with each other. You don't, you don't try to repeat the union. That would, that would cheapen it. You simply bask in the fact that you have become one. And this is the contemplative stage of our union with Christ. Wow. And then the fourth stage is if we become one with Christ, if we've consummated our union, the bride gets what? Pregnant! <laughs> yes, 
You get filled with the Spirit. And you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Not just the gifts, but the fruit of the Spirit. And you give birth to a child. See? That is the evangelization that we are called. We are called to, as it were, give birth to little children in Christ. We're called to bring people to Jesus. And it doesn't happen just by talking. It happens through this love union of entering into dialogue. The ecstatic union of consummation, the charismatic experience, then the contemplative experience. And then it changes your life. You get fat. (laughs) You get pregnant. What happens? Then you have a baby. You begin to bring little Christians, Christianus, like Christ, little Christs, into the world. So we're going to be going through this. We're going to be going through this. Dialogue is so important. A lot of people think, uh, we don't need dialogue. Let's go right to the consummation. Let's go right to contemplation. No, you need to kind of have some objective truth in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, if you say, I want to live on the North Pole, but Jesus wants to live on the South Pole, you're not going to be able to cohabitate. And that's one of the requirements for a good marriage, (laughs) to actually spend time together. See, so there are objective things. What's truth? What's error? What's right? What's wrong? These are truths about God and truths about our life in Christ, in the church. It's called teaching about faith and morality. It's important. A lot of people try to skip that. You can't skip it. But then what comes next? The next thing to happen is that love union, that ecstatic love union. Because now you can trust. You've established the foundation. You don't have to be going back and arguing doctrine all the time. A lot of people spend all their time in doctrine. You don't want to spend all your time arguing about doctrine. That's legalism. Legalism. See, so you want to get into the love union. Those are the charismatic gifts. It's ecstatic. It's ecstatic. It's on fire. It's pure emotional union. Oh. And I'm going, to, I'm going to share some teaching on that later. It's going to knock your socks off. But then afterwards, we enter into contemplation. A lot of folks try to go to contemplation right away, but they haven't gone through the love union. Well, guess what? Their spiritual life is just boring. So doctrine without the love union is legalism. But if you try to go to the contemplative without going through the previous stages, you end up just kind of lethargic for Jesus. And I know a lot of people like this. Oh, I'm contemplative. No, you're not contemplative. You're (laughs) passive-aggressive. No. So you got to have on fire, and then you break through, and then you begin to enter into daily life. You have children, and you got to get up in the morning, and you got to fix the breakfast. You're the wife, remember. I'm using an old traditional analogy here. Excuse me, you folks that are more modern. You make breakfast. You get ready. You have breakfast as a family. Jesus goes away. He's ascended. And we're waiting for him to come back at the end of the day. But we remain faithful through the day. So these stages are really cool. In our uh, traditional Christian experience, we talk about these various stages. In the West, we have often used the language of Lexio Divina, sacred reading, oratio, prayer, meditatio, meditating on what we're reading about and studying, and then the 
contemplation of that union. We also talk about the purgative, illuminative, and unitive life. In the East, we talk about the insensitive, the rational, and finally the intellective stages. These are, these are descriptions that we use to help us get a handle on the dynamism of our life with Jesus Christ. So come back for this series. Do you have this dynamic relationship with Jesus? Is it a love relationship? All things are possible with God. Let's take a moment and pray for that love relationship with Jesus. Pray with me right now. Jesus, I invite you into my life through the power of your spirit. May I know this personal love relationship with you. Help us to respond. I invite every Christian at this very moment to a personal encounter with Jesus. Jesus, let that be in my life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. See you back here for the rest of the series. Come thou Father of the poor Come with treasures to endure Come thou light of all Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com.